We see a deadly sin on every street corner, in every home, and we tolerate it. We tolerate it because it's common. It's, it's trivial. We tolerate it morning, noon, and night. Well, not anymore. I'm setting the example. And what I've done is going to be puzzled over and studied and followed forever. Yeah. Welcome back to The Rear View. This is our chance to take a glance back into film history as we as filmmakers drive forward into the future of cinema and television. Each episode, we interview a filmmaker and discuss a film that influenced them or one they simply can't talk about enough, whether good or bad. I say welcome back because after a long hiatus, the show is back in the saddle again. And hey, if Will and Grace and Curb Your Enthusiasm can do it, why can't the rear view? My name is Matt Edwards, and in this reel, I speak with writer-director Robert Hamilton to discuss the 1995 film Seven, directed by David Fincher, starring Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, and, spoiler alert, Kevin Spacey, with a script by Andrew Kevin Walker. All right, Robert, thanks for joining us. Why don't you give us a quick synopsis on Seven? Well, first, Matt, thanks for having me. Um, Synopsis for Seven is two detectives searching down a serial killer who's murdering people based upon the seven deadly sins. And uh, quickly, the seven deadly sins are, if we can remember. Gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy... Uh, pride. Pride. Um, it's love, envy, pride, uh, wrath. I think we got him. No? We missed one? Lust. 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 Oh my god, like the most Sh- horrific. I should have remembered that one for my movie. <laughs> Oops. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> great. Well, what is it about this movie? Why, why is this the one? As a director, this is the one because. I don't know, artists like to say that uh, filmmaking is not a competitive place. It's not a competitive field. I tend to think that it is. Um, And what I like to do is watch a movie like this to remind me how much more work I have to do. Um, I love it. It, It's, in my my mind, as perfect as it could possibly be for the type of film that it is. but yeah, every time I watch it, it reminds me that I have a lot of work to do, and and I love it for that. Yeah. What areas like are you thinking about when you're thinking about like, like, for instance, like what what do you see in the film that you say, oh, I need to approach my projects this way? There's a lot of things. Mostly the directing of David Fincher. Um, it seems like no frames ever wasted. Um, he also something I pointed out last night to my girlfriend was that. His transitions from scene to scene mm. are seamless and they're exciting. There's a moment where we find that there are fingerprints behind the painting in the lawyer's office. Oh, right, right, And right. then we hard cut to a negative image on a screen of, of the, the guy blowing the dust off the fingerprints and Brad Pitt looking to Morgan Freeman asking, have you ever seen anything like this? Mm-hmm. It's just... It keeps you exciting. That, along with Howard Shore's score, mixed with that, mm-hmm. is just it, as an editor and as a director, you just go, "Man, that's the way to do it." You're kidding me. 
Call the print lab. Hey guys, just by looking at the scroll pattern, not the victim's fingerprints. There's something, obviously the story has that grit to it, but if you look at it just technically, the way they filmed it, mm-hmm. um, not just the lighting and the terrific cinematography, but even there's a scene when they're driving in the car and they're going to find who they think is the killer um, who happens to be the, the slothful guy missing his hand. Right, right. And they're having a conversation, Brad Pitt's telling a story about a cop that got shot years ago I uh, can't remember his name and it's a shot when we're looking towards I think it was all shot down here in downtown LA mm. even though it's made to look like anywhere in New York yeah that's interesting like that's a whole nother thing I want to talk yeah, about let's, is, yeah let's talk about that um, but go ahead but there, we see Brad Pitt telling a story and as we do we, we flash by the sun glares through the window in the conversation and it's a beautiful flare but it has even in the flare it's not crystal clear it has a little bit of like grain in it and it almost lent itself to the future where Fincher switched over to digital and like mm. his earlier digital work digital early had a little bit of that digital grain for better or worse but the film stuck I don't know what the process was if they went for that or, or that's just happened to be what they got but there's something just gritty to the feel of it it feels mm-hmm. dirty mm-hmm. and I mean that consistent with the story is what really it, you feel like you're right there with them and you want to leave but you can't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, and transitioning back to what we were just talking about What's so interesting about this film is it doesn't take place in a specific city. Right, right. It starts in what looks like New York and ends clearly in somewhere outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, because that's like not upstate New York. That's like... No, no, no. like Lancaster or Bakersfield <laughs> or something. Yeah. But yeah. what's so cool is I think the purpose of that um, was this happens everywhere. Yeah. There's no hiding from evil in the world, so the only thing you can do is fight it. Yeah. Um, and I think that I don't know in the script if that was specific. Um, that could you know Ben Fincher that probably was a directorial decision, but who mm-hmm. knows? And I even went back last night because the second murder, you know, it, it says Tuesday on the screen, mm-hmm. and we're seeing uh, you know a guy selling newspapers, and we do a kind of punch in cut to the actual newspapers. It's like the Daily Herald, the the Planet, right, the, right, yeah, 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 no cities. I checked it out again just to see like. Is there? Re- it's really specifically not anywhere. It's, yeah, it's, it's Scary Town, USA. Yeah, or it, it felt like Gotham. It I does. mean, it felt like it Gotham. It, it, it. I mean, especially with the you know, obviously the dark, the rain, the steam coming up from from the ground at yeah. every turn in the alleyway, in the main in the main roads and stuff. Uh, it felt like Gotham, and it kind of gave me that. It. I haven't seen this film in probably ten years, like all the way through, and uh, since then we've had. Gotham City defined for us mm. through Christopher Nolan's movies, and uh, and again this just felt I I mean I felt like Batman was was lurking around as well so yeah. the, it was definitely that that go- and you're right I think uh, and it's always raining it was every time always they're driving raining. yeah so talk about that because like that is that is a clearly uh, I mean sure you can write raining in the script you can say it's always raining but even when the sun was out there was a mm-hmm. moment where like Brad Pitt is outside waiting to get into his car. And the the sun is out, and then he gets in the car, uh, but it's still, but it's completely raining. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to that about rain? Like, what, what do you what do you take away from as a director, like making sure, those choices sure. with rain and what they 
what they do. Well, it's interesting because sometimes that's a flaw, and it's done just because that was your shooting day, right? Sure. You're, you're saying, I need well, to shoot. Well, not if they shot in L.A. <laughs> that, true, true, true. But I was, you know, I just went and saw the new It, and then I wanted to show my girlfriend the, the original opening Georgie scene. And in the new one, it's all perfectly dark, and it's all—it's exactly how you'd think a rainstorm would look. In the old one, it's sunny in the background, but it's pouring rain right on top of Georgie. And you know it's a made-for-TV movie. It's right. most likely budgetary. It's like, today is the rain day, so it is what it is. But with Fincher, that's never the case. You know, everything he does is meticulous. And I think it's very purposeful. One, it's raining all the time, but the rain that's really amplified is when they're in cars driving. And it's raining so hard that even when you see Morgan Freeman driving, you can't see out of the front windshield. Ooh. So he couldn't either. But the purpose is that they're enclosed. They're always stuck. They're, you're within their mindset and in this story. Every, anywhere they are, they're encapsulated by the mind of this killer and, and what he's going to do next and how they're going to try to save lives, even though they're completely lost. And I think the other aspect is there's the scene with, with Brad Pitt when he, he doesn't want to read like Chaucer and all the books, so he gets mm-hmm. the cliff notes. So he starts like he's walking in the rain, but it's sunny in the background. Mm -hmm. He gets in the car. The camera kind of does a dolly pan right. And now we're looking at him in the car out the front, and it's completely dark. And I think it's a constant reminder that, and it happens throughout the film, that you have this light and you have this dark. And they're constantly together, always working together. You know, there is always evil, and there's Mm -hmm. always good. And as long as we continue to remind ourselves, and I think that's kind of the theme of the movie stated by Morgan Freeman with the very last line that we are human and human nature isn't always good mm-hmm. so there's always going to be bad don't try to convince yourself there isn't but you, all you can do is be out there and try to try to be the good mm-hmm. and I feel like that's the, the entire theme of the film yeah well uh, I think John Doe uh, believes this exact same thing mm-hmm. that's why he's doing what he's doing and I think it's such a great I mean when he's in the, in the so like in the earlier clip uh, that I played at the top of the show uh, John Doe is basically saying all of the things that Morgan Freeman was alluding to in his discussions with uh, Brad Pitt's wife, mm-hmm. uh, Tracy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, about how he doesn't want to, you know, he didn't want to bring a kid into this world. He didn't want, he, you know, all the, all the things that he's trying to fix as being in a law enforcement. And then here's John Doe, who sa- who's saying the same things to an extreme and then mm-hmm. taking a direct, extreme, horrific action mm-hmm. towards it. It's like almost this precursor to like what Dexter <laughs> was you know 20 years later 10 mm-hmm. years however many years later the vigilante serial killer yeah out yeah to create the world in his in god's image right yeah you know? it's 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 crazy that to see to see those two types of things play out and then you have brad pitt kind of caught in this triangle yeah. um and just trying to be just trying to look at it from a common sense point of view and then but he gets caught up in acting in his own emotions mm-hmm. as well yeah. what's so interesting about when john does in that backseat explaining his actions is that for just a little moment, you agree with him. Not, yeah. not the extreme he took it to, but when he's talking about the glutton, when he's talking about the lawyer, when he's talking about especially the, mod, the model, mm-hmm. who is a scene that's a little bit glazed over, but you know what happens. The, end of the fact that she chose to kill herself over having a mangled face because mm-hmm. of pride. Um, it's just very, very interesting that you know he's taking it from a very harsh perspective, but the idea is... It's his vision on everything that's wrong in the world. And it's funny because in modern day, we've almost amplified, especially that pride aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he just picked a supermodel. Nowadays, everyone's their own supermodel. 
So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just you interesting agreeing. <laughs> it, it's kind of like in, in Sam's Limbs. Sometimes you're listening to Hannibal and you get caught up and going, well, he's making a lot of sense yeah, there. Well, like, wait, yeah. he eats people. He eats people. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is like every, the everyday things that's going, that he's seeing on the street corner and we just accept it and move on. Mm. And uh, at some point he's just like sick of it. So he wants to like, you know, and he's obviously a maniac. Um, but he's doing the wrong, he's taking the wrong actions. He's doing, in some way, the right thing in the completely wrong way. Right. You know, the rehabilitation <laughs> right. of those people would be the way to go, but yeah, wouldn't make much of a movie. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so yeah, so, th- so then back to like what you have drawn from this film um, uh, in your, in the feature film that you directed, uh, The Suffering. Which is available, right? Which Everywhere. Is available now and on Amazon Prime for anybody. Uh, did you did you look to Fincher and Seven when you when you were approaching that film as well, or or did things just kind of stick out in your mind of how you would like to approach things? You know, uh, the Suffering was my second feature film, but my first one it's called Key. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't always recommend watching it because it was a straight out of it was a co- kind of a college feature that happened to get distribution, but. There's a there's a lot of you know Fincher influences in, in that film, and that part of that's just coming out of film school. Going, I'm going to mimic David Fincher because right. why not mimic the best? I still believe that. <laughs> but um, the storyline, obviously, with the suffering, without giving too many spoilers away, definitely does somewhat align itself to, mm. to Seven. That wasn't done purposefully, but when I was reading the 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 writing that the movie is inspired by, I got to a certain point and went. You know, holy shit! This is funny how this kind of relates to mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorite films. So I've got to do it this mm-hmm. way. Um, there's definitely some directing styles there that are somewhat similar, um, but I would say Key has a lot more. You can kind of see the influence of mm. me attempting to to make a film in that fashion mm-hmm. with not enough money to make a film in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, I mean, it, what did What's the famous artist that said, uh, you know, good artists copy, great artists steal? So, right. you know, if you're going to, you know, make films, it's just like being an author and reading books. You, you try to, oh, 100%. You know, you try to go in the fashion of what you, you love because as long as you have good taste, which you hope you do as a mm-hmm. filmmaker, then, you know, you're, you're copying the people that you know have good taste. And you're trying to do it in your own fashion, but you just know these things work and you know. Well, remember what he did, and I, I talked to my cinematographer this all the time. Well, you know that scene in Seven? He goes, stop talking about because <laughs> he <laughs> wants to shoot his it. own movie. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just remember that scene and how you know we revealed this character and yeah, how you know yeah. this three shot was done. Um, so there's no question that, that just you know having that library of films like Seven or yeah. a lot of other ones in in the back of your mind influences how you do your own things. So and, no question about it. Yeah, and make no mistake, uh, Fincher probably has done the same thing. Oh, I mean, no question. Right? I mean, no question. I you mean, know, he, he's yeah. lending from all, all those greats. You know, you see scene, scenes in Seven because, you know, in the beginning, it seems like New York um, yeah. to me. And, uh, you know, so you see some of those, the influences of, of the, the New York streets. There's a point in the movie where Morgan Freeman is leaving in a cab to go to the library. And the cabbie goes, where to? And he goes, far away from here and when he says that he's looking out and you just see like kind of it, it's straight up taxi driver mm-hmm. it's just like the mean streets of 1977 mm-hmm. New York and you're just like god I would want to you know and it's funny I'd watch the show it just aired on HBO The Deuce the night oh before, okay yeah and yeah. that takes place in 1971 New York so I'm watching that going wow this is really influenced by taxi driver mm-hmm. and then I'm watching those scenes in 7 going well clearly Fincher 
is, and he's in a cab, of course, sure, uh, sure. somewhat mimicking that. And then a lot of his other styles are clearly like Hitchcockian, you mm-hmm. know, like, I mean, if you're a director and you don't know all the Hitchcock films, well, you yeah. probably start over. Yeah. Um, uh, but, what is that shot with, uh, um, with Spacey and he's, I think he's like looking up. Is that, is is that this, you mean towards the end when he's, is it in the, uh, like the, it's an overhead shot. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I just, I'm hoping I'm not confusing it with something else, but. Is it kind of the Shawshank shot? Are we looking yeah, down on him? Or are we yeah, looking we're, looking, we're looking straight down it's on prob- him. I'm right trying to remember the specific right shot. Thing. I'm guessing it would yeah. be in the middle of the field. Or is it, or is it when he I feel he's, like it was inside the. Is, or is it in the, the station? In the station, yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong, but anyway. That, but you're that, right. The part the, of that scene always is just always, detective, the way he screams. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that is a huge turning point. I mean, that's why this movie is so attractive to people, because it opens as like this straight sort of procedural. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a whodunit. In fact, yeah. the first murder where Mills and Somerset meet is not related no, to the, the no. things. In fact, it may, it may not even be a murder, right? Or was it a murder? It's oh, no, no. A, it's, it's a murder-suicide. Yeah, murder-suicide. Yeah. Right, right, right. And he asked, you know, had the kids seen it? Yeah. And it was, so you learn so much about the character there mm-hmm. because it's not just that he has an emotional connection to, the, to a child and a child becomes very thematic throughout mm-hmm. the film. But he, his methods are different mm-hmm. and his methods are more methodical than kind of... He, He's jaded, but not in, in the way he does things. Mm-hmm. He kind of can separate the, the jaded mind of the world around him versus the micro of the details. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they do an incredible job within the... I mean, the first scene of, of the film is very not Fincher. It's so simple. It's a guy preparing for work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's not that cinematic, but it's just... It tells you how detail-oriented he is and how routine he is and how he kind of separates himself from the world he's about to re-enter every day mm-hmm. and uh you know it's it's it tells you everything by mm-hmm. showing and it's it's really really strong there was a uh, uh something that i noticed and you brought it up about um morgan freeman's character being so uh detail oriented and um so somerset's like the veteran mills is kind of the rookie but he's not he's just a rookie to that department right uh, but he, for all intents and purposes, he's the rookie, and Mills is the veteran. And we've seen we've seen you know the clash of um, of, uh, of of uh, procedure and how and how you go about investigating. Mm-hmm. You know, Somerset's the detailed oriented guy. He's researching. He's checking out books. He's doing all this meticulous work. And uh, uh, Mills is looking at the photographs. He's like at the scene. He just wants to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, he he just wants to talk through. How do we find this crazy guy? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it, it's 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 interesting because a lot of times it feels like the veteran will be the one that's doing the hard nosed detective work, mm-hmm. and then the new guy comes in, almost like Brad Pitt's character in Moneyball, and has this new like, yeah. let's just do research yeah, and we'll yeah. find it. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting how how both of those tactics, when presented in in their different perspectives, can be treated with. Um, with a with a um, with respect, mm-hmm. because now we're looking at Somerset doing something that maybe a rookie would want to do. Mm-hmm. No, we have to do research. Like, yeah. can you imagine if this movie was made today? It's like, oh, we have to go on the internet. Yeah. He's like, police work isn't done on the internet; it's done out in the field. Like, you exactly. could see that dude, but here right. it's reversed. It's a, it is, it's a role reversal, and it's interesting because yeah, Brad Pitt is the the kind of I don't know. He just he comes in and he and he seems to be like the guy that that not that he's been there forever, but but the guy that 
that says this is how we do it. It's right. where he's jaded in his police work and in his in his way that he does it, but he's so naive in his mentality at, at of the purpose of why that crime was committed. Mm. Whereas Somerset is very. Um, he thinks about it from a more philosophical standpoint, mm-hmm. understanding human nature and trying to, you know, they always say it, but but Mills seems to not be able to do it. Put yourself in the shoes of the killer and why he's doing what he's doing. And there's the line when Brad Pitt calls him either crazy or nut job or both. And, and Somerset says, you know, that's you can't be so naive to look at things this way. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing someone as crazy has already um, kind of, Separated you from the ability to see the truth of the matter, and and really the truth is the ability to catch him, mm-hmm. um, and that that kind of play and that theme of of not being naive on on what we're really capable of, you know, comes to fruition in the end. You know, this isn't going to have a happy ending. It's not possible. Hey man, we catch him, I'll be happy enough. If we catch John Doe. He turns out to be the devil. I mean, if he's Satan himself, that might live up to our expectations, but he's not the devil. He's just a man. You know, see, you bitch, and you complain, and you tell me these things, and he's mean. If you think you're preparing me for hard times, thank you, but... But you gotta be a, a hero. You wanna be a champion. Well, let me tell you, people don't want a champion. They want to eat cheeseburgers, play the lotto, and watch television. Hey, how did you get like this? I want to know. It wasn't one thing, I can tell you that. Go on. What this movie perfectly personifies is that art and entertainment can find a really happy middle. Because this is a film made by one of the best filmmakers in history. But it's crazy entertaining, and it, and it has a little bit of that that you know just a hint of of Fincher's old music video style of, of making things. It's not flashy, but it's tight. And so I think what a movie like this proves to me, as somebody who is a genre filmmaker and has enjoyed more and more every day making genre films, I almost only watch genre films now, mm. is that there's a real art to what people think could be schlock. And so you're taking a, a filmmaker at you know at the highest level and making a serial killer procedural. I've seen this movie done 50 times terribly. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman made about eight of them after <laughs> seven. Right. You know, right. um, but that's the biggest takeaway is that study that you know it, you don't have to make and no, you know no, nothing going against these movies, but you know like the It Follows or or The Witch, um, where it, it leans towards the scale of art house a little bit more over narrative by the time you kind of get through it mm-hmm. whereas I think what Fincher does is he ve- he's very very he knows the plot is just as important as the character even though he hides that a little bit because he's so good at building character um, one of the things I think you and I have talked about is there's a scene in the middle of the movie and I, it's by far the linchpin of the film and it's when Tracy uh, Mills' wife invites Somerset over for dinner Mm. and you have about a seven minute scene that now these characters are three dimensional and they are emotionally invested in each other and that's the linchpin of the film you know the beautiful spacious vibrating home Mm. you know that moment (laughs) where they share that laugh to me is you know in a movie that's filled with crazy shit happening the whole time 
three people getting along over dinner and having a real life funny conversation is the most important aspect of the entire film. And that's what I think another thing for filmmakers to look for is when you're making something really dark, um, make sure that first of all, you, you really honor your characters and let them have hum human moments um, mm -hmm. because that's why we're going to care. And obviously that moment along with a later conversation Tracy has with Somerset about being pregnant are the two, you know, almost biggest blows when you, when you, the reveal at the end. But I would say it's very important to honor your characters and show them outside of the plot. Mm -hmm. And another thing when you're making dark films is always try to find moments of levity because that levity will re-engross your audience. Um, there's a great moment at the end when Kevin Spacey gets pulled out of the car by Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, it's, and it's before the delivery driver's pulling up, before they have that, you know, pretty much we're going towards the end. And uh, Mills looks over and goes, what do you got? And Somerset looks down, he goes, dead dog. And uh, Kevin Spacey looks over towards him and goes, I didn't do that. <laughs> right. You know, in what's about to be one of the darkest yeah. endings in film history, you have this just... You're not laughing, but you're grinning. Oh, yeah. You're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. This awful human being has a sense of humor. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And it's terrific. So I think those two things are very important. You know, find your character, let them live in their life and show it, and then find moments of levity in... There's nothing worse than... <laughs> and I say this after making a movie that is very atmospheric and, and doesn't have a whole lot of levity, but there's nothing worse when you when you are making some of these films that you don't look for little moments of humor as a filmmaker or a writer. Find the things that make people chuckle. Don't mm -hmm. go outside of the tone of your film. But, right. but the, it, it doesn't take much to make somebody laugh when they've just seen somebody get their head ripped off. You know, mm -hmm. um, They're looking for that. They want that because that brings them back to... All right, there's some good in the world, and then that means the next time you do something even more awful, it hurts that much more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, and I think Fincher does a really good job of that, um, and I think he did his best job of that in this film compared to Gone Girl. I thought was a little too heavy, mm. um, but I think there's a lot of those moments in here. Yeah, I, I uh, recently um, heard an interview with uh, the screenwriter of uh, Seven who his name escapes me at the moment it's but Andrew Kevin Walker there you go perfect um, <clears throat> did more prep for me than, than my thing well, you, this is your one of your favorite films so of course you know that uh, but he he had said that uh, in in um, regarding the le the moments of levity throughout the film that uh, he, like the script is was peppered with all with a ton more mm -hmm. and er, early when he's mm -hmm. writing and the thing is, like, because he knows how important it is, so he just puts them in because his it pops up yeah. in your mind, and then you can scale back because Absolutely. then it can be too much, like Absolutely. with regard to tone. And when you have a director like Fincher, he knows story. Yeah, one of the things that he has that the great directors have is they can sit back and become the audience, even mm -hmm. though they have to make sure they're telling a story that's at least one step ahead of the audience. Mm -hmm. But they can sit back and put themselves in a cinema watching their own movie and saying. How does this emotionally resonate with me? Mm -hmm. And so he knows the time. Look, we don't need to go too funny. We don't need to push it too hard because we're telling a movie about a you know awful serial killer. Um, but these five out of these twenty you had in there really, really work and mm -hmm. are really necessary for those that, those points in time in the film. Yeah, in fact, um, uh, the line where 
uh, Brad Pitt. I think it was what you were saying before. He's either a genius or a maniac or something. It was, I, think it's, I think it's in that conversation um, <clears throat> where he says, um, he says, well, who, like, who does he think he is? A Yoda, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and in the similar conversation, uh, the writer said, really? Yoda? And Fincher, like, Fincher said something like, uh, well, yeah, like, to Mills, that's the most, <laughs> that's the smartest <laughs> very, guy ever, is Yoda. You know? And I was like, oh, he's Because like, oh, Mills okay. is on that certain level of, you know, the way he thinks. That's funny. Right. And right. even in that line, actually, for the first time, I noticed how, how simple of a line that was, but how important it was. And this is going back to how Fincher does transitions. Mm. He says, just because he's got a fucking library card doesn't make him Yoda. That's but that line. library yeah. card is what makes Somerset go, holy shit. Right. I have That's a guy right. that can do this. So it's a great line, but yeah. it also it moves throws the story. you forward. Yeah, it it's, moves the story. It's really hard to do mysteries. And those little things, you know, how do... You can't keep having a guy with a flashlight the whole time, you know, looking behind a door and finding a piece of paper that says go to this right, address. Right, right, You know, right. it's but it's really hard not to discover all these new ways of getting forward and having ideas being presented to the characters that feel natural but need the story to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's a prime example of, like, we got a character moment with Brad Pitt tells us something about himself. Mm-hmm. But by his mentality, his pop culture, whatever you want to call it, throws a guy like Somerset back to his way. Oh, you just reminded me of a way I do things. Mm-hmm. And it's brilliant. It tells you something about both characters and it throws the movie, you know, you'd go to the next gear. So. Yeah. That's great, man. I, uh, I really think you hit the nail on the head in terms of, uh, you know, splicing that, that moment, the, you know, the stuff between an art house film, a, uh, a horror film, more or less. Um, and then kind of like what it, what it launched. I mean, I think after seven, it gave filmmakers and Hollywood and horror films sort of like the green light to be like, wait, that lust and that sloth. And I mean, all of those murders, like, I think we can go do saw now, Yeah, <laughs> you know, we or can, we can <laughs> go do hostile now, you know, it was just like, <laughs> that's when they, that's when they <laughs> took it a few steps too far. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it but just I mean, it, 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 it did lead to that. There's no, there's no yeah. question. But then it led to stuff like the witch or, or, uh, it follows yeah. and stuff like the, that. It, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of overused now, but it's called like the elevated genre films, mm. you know, it's one step above or two steps above just, you know, we're in a sorority house. Mm-hmm. Half the girls are naked and they're getting stabbed the other half of the time. Right. You know, and that's what a lot of, there's a great, a lot of great 80s horror films, but that was kind of, Jason kind of set that off. And mm-hmm. then really what, what spurred it um, was Silence of the Lambs. Oh, sure. You know, sure. and that, that probably like the, the, what you're talking about, that transition to um, Fincher and, and Walker saying, well, we can, well, we can now make this movie yeah, that yeah. even scales that up a bit. Right. And, and take it into a little bit more of... Because Sons of the Lambs is amazing, but it feels like it could it could take place in kind of any era. It has mm-hmm. some of that old school appeal uh, um, with some of the you know gore and violence that was allowed in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Seven feels very much like... A, it, it's it's almost... In, could be entirely a modern film today, except for one scene where Morgan Freeman answers his beeper. <laughs> right, right. That's yeah. like the only That's a thing. dated moment, yeah, um, for sure. Sure. And I think that's another thing Fincher Fincher brings to films is his style of filmmaking is is kind of timeless. Yeah, um, it's going to feel new for somebody that watches it now, and it's mm-hmm. twenty two years old. And his style hasn't really changed, but it's it's the perfect combination of of he knows when to do 
fast cuts, and he knows when to hold a shot for a mm-hmm. long time. He's he's kind of the master at that. Yeah, that hallway shot where uh, Mills and Somerset are waiting in on the on the By on the, the couch. Oh, they're outside yeah, yeah, the fingerprint yeah, yeah. office, and yeah. they're just like you know. And he's like, "What are we doing? We're just waiting here, you know." But and that, I mean, that long shot's there for it's it's a two shot, it's, then it's a long shot, and they do one from like the side. It's yeah, yeah, so, yeah, and you're just sitting there, like you're saying, yeah. like he knows when to move. Just you know, having them sit there on that sofa, and then the way they wake up again is like now you've such yeah, a yeah, character yeah. moment. Yeah, but there's even a little moment I had never mo- noticed before last night, and it's I don't know if it was in the script or Brad Pitt just being a good actor, but he goes to lay down, and he, and he goes. And he looks over, and there's an ashtray right next to him. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he just kind of moves. It's It could definitely not be in the movie. Right. You know, it's not necessary. But right. it's such a good little natural moment of yeah, just... You, and we've all smelled ashtrays yeah, before, probably. next used to an to. ashtray. In, yeah, in real life, you're going to move it. In yeah. a movie, you're like, am I allowed to touch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. To the ground. But he, you know, let's, let's yeah, move that away. That it's away. so little, but it, it's yeah. just... that's There's something about Fincher films that um, they feel so dense in a good way. Mm-hmm and rich mm-hmm. there's always something there and everything is purposeful but there's always he, I think he you know for a genre filmmaker even though he's beyond that obviously um, he always finds the little moments to let his character be a real life character mm-hmm. and not so worried about let's move the plot forward even though it seems like he moves it forward so well he does it so naturally he allows for those little moments to happen yeah, and he's uh, clearly detail oriented, as we've seen in the following uh, in his canon of film. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, he's he's a master. This is a great great jumping off point to get uh, to get your feet wet with David Fincher. <clears throat> um, Alien Three aside, there's some great stuff in Alien Three. It's not the best of the Alien films, but what's some, interesting is he came off of Alien Three to make this film. Right, right. So I was talking to my girlfriend last night about it. I was like, you have to realize in 1995. Brad Pitt's an up-and-comer. Mm-hmm. Morgan Freeman is famous, but hadn't been doing. He wasn't a ton. doing lead stuff like no, this. no, yeah. no. And this and this started him on ten years of doing being an A-list star again, right. doing a lot of films like this. Um, you have Gwyneth Paltrow again, up-and-coming starlet, mm-hmm. and then you have a guy that won the Academy Award the year before for *These Are Suspects*, who is in zero of the advertising for the film. Yeah, well, a- actually, actually, didn't he? I thought the I thought the usual suspects came out the same year, but earlier that year because he like because if my memory serves, I, when I was in college at the time, I had seen that movie. Kevin Spacey was like, "Oh, wow, what a great movie! What a great moment in that film!" And then a few months later, this movie comes out, and you're watching. You have no idea that he's in it, and then he's there again, and you're like, "No!" Guy, like it was yeah. like in, in the context of the times, like Kevin Spacey. We have the, showing up arguably the hottest huge. actor in the, in the world. And yeah, I, yeah. I can't remember if it's on the um, the director's commentary track or if it's something you know I read, but I, I remember reading that you know, and and you're probably right. They were probably being made right right around the same time. But Suspects came out first and got him notoriety. Yeah. And the moment that happened, any studio being smart in marketing was saying well we need to plaster you all over mm-hmm. when you put you in the trailer the advertising yeah they would they should and Spacey vehemently fought against it and was yeah. like you do not I don't know if it was contractual or not but he said no yeah pretty yeah. much the point you do this we're not working together yeah. again yeah because he respected the story so much mm-hmm. and I mean it makes it that much bigger of a blow that because there's a line in the movie where Morgan Freeman goes if we get to the end of this and it's the devil himself 
Mm. Don't be surprised. It's like, well, it's not the devil, but it's Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. You're like, that's <laughs> as, as close as you can get, you right. know? As, unless they broke out Anthony Hopkins, you know, throwing <laughs> yeah, out oh, it. That would have been, now yeah. we would have walked out of the theater. Yeah. Like, then it's ah, better. You're just like, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. you know, you, you throw out there, and suddenly this guy that, you know, you've been following his work, but nothing of his, nothing seeing him. Mm-hmm. You know, most actors would, would have fought to have more screen time early on yeah and especially of his stature but he, and if not the actors they're a representation for sure oh, yeah. <laughs> you know i mean that's and uh, he understood that yeah the not seeing makes it that much more powerful oh, of course yeah he's the shark of jaws yeah. you know it's i mean it's the beautiful the beauty of jaws is that the shark never worked yeah so they had to figure out a way Absolutely. to make it terrifying yeah until it did work and and then when you do see it yeah it's, it's going you know yeah. um yeah it's it's there's, what was there other thing in it? Oh, and the other, there was another interesting part about the Kevin Spacey character is that if if you ever find the script for Seven online, there's never a script that starts the way that it starts in the film and has. Now we're going to crazy credit sequence. It starts. Yeah, it's a cold open, and then we do yeah. credits. Yeah, it's yeah, a, and it's a cold I'm, open I'm for like four or five minutes. Yeah, in the script, it is. Um, at least all the scripts I could ever find, it is Somerset out in the country scouting his new home. Mm. And then the credits in the script are him taking the train and subway back. So going from beauty back to to Gotham City, as you call it. And there was something budgetary, uh, budget-wise, that somehow the train thing wasn't going to happen. And I can't remember who... I think the editor pitched it to, to Fincher and Post was like, you know, we never see the serial killer, so what if we show, give him everything, you know, do there. some, so, show some of the methods in a Nine Inch Nails style music video? Yeah, yeah. And it's awesome because everything you see there comes back. You just kind of forget because of the way it's flashed. You see of him course. cutting off his fingertips. Mm-hmm. You see the hand in the formaldehyde for a flash, you mm-hmm. know, which comes back later. Um, I read a review of Seven a couple years back, just looking at Rotten Tomato, and it was like, this is one of the most unique, clever, terrifying things you'll ever see. And that's just at the end of the first credits. <laughs> you know, it was... Because no one had ever seen anything like that yeah, before. Absolutely. And now you see it all the time. You can right. go on to, you know, any After Effects website and somebody's mimicked that where you can plug in Oh, absolutely. It's, prob- it's probably like it's factory choices on your, oh, yeah. on your uh, effects uh, software that, and stuff. That, that started that whole trend. And it's... Yeah. It's never been mimicked mm-hmm. in this in you know a way as elevated as that. But. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks, Rob, for coming in and uh, and talking seven. Um, I have one last question, which I pitched to you uh, before you came here today. So hopefully, you have a good answer to this. Uh, if our civilization ended today by some random act of God and extraterrestrials discovered our remains a thousand years from now, what's one film or television series that you want them to find? Just got to do one, huh? Uh, <laughs> they can only find one. I, I think it's it, it wouldn't be the film to say, hey, this is who we are. Mm-hmm. It would be the film to say, hey, this is what a film is. This is something we created. This is an art that, that may no longer exist. Uh, it would be Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. And I know it's one you and I had, had talked <laughs> about as possibly discussing. Yeah. But a lot like Seven, but more for... You know, you could be seven years old or you could be 95 years old and you'll enjoy the film. It's just kind of perfect. <laughs> it's adventure, it's humor, it's action. And uh, as, an, uh, as an editor, I'll, I'll, I guess I could end with this. It has the greatest edit in my mind in film history. Really? Oh, um, please share. It is 
you know, we, River Phoenix plays young uh, Harrison Ford, and I can't remember the cross. It, it's I think it's uh, belonged to Cortez, maybe. Oh right, the yeah, cross yeah, the that he, he steals from from the, the kind of pirate guys. Yeah. And uh, he goes back to his home and he tries to speak to his father, Sean Connery, and Connery makes him count in Greek, you know. Um, and so the cops come along with the fat bugle player and, and, of course, you find out the cops are corrupt and they give the cross back to the evil guy who will come back in a moment. And you have the guy that kind of resembles Harrison Ford with the hat. Right. And he says, I can't remember the specific line, but the idea is, just because you lost this time, kid, doesn't mean you gotta like it. And he puts the hat on him, and it hard cuts to the same hat coming up, and it's oh, Harrison yeah. Ford, and you yeah. go, holy shit, it's Indiana Jones. Then, he gets punched right in the face. <laughs> and it's the greatest, it, it, you know, you normally try to hide edits when you're editing, yeah. but if you're gonna not hide an edit, you're gonna show an edit, that edit comes up, and you, you have this heroic moment, and then you have that blast of humor where he gets just drilled in the face. Uh-huh. Harrison Ford doing that perfect look like I just got punched in the face. Look, um, yeah, that I don't think there will ever be a greater shifting moment and edit in film than that yeah. because it's it tells you so much. It has so much character and it has that. But anyway, yeah, that that film to me is probably aside from maybe like Forrest Gump, the most rewatchable film. I could I could finish it, start it back over, nice. and just keep going. So, thanks, Rob, for coming to the show. Absolutely, thanks for having me. And I thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow along and subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. And be sure to connect with us on Twitter at TRV Podcast, at Facebook.com slash The Rear View, and at our website, TheRearViewPodcast.com. My name is Matt Edwards, and if you're driving forward on your film, always be sure to check The Rear View.